And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year, banner 12 plus 6 here. Aaron Neesman. Top rookie, I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum. Hi. We off the charts, but you gotta play it, Marcus Smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard? Hey, <laughs> Jay, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to. Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you after a Celtics managed to somehow beat the Washington Wizards to win their second game in a row. Didn't know how long it was going to be till I could say that phrase. They had not won two games in a row since late January, but they managed to string two wins together. A very nice victory. That's such a long time to go without winning two games in a row. It was it was a bad month. It was a bad <laughs> month of February for the Celtics. I'll be the first to say it. And they managed to get a pretty solid victory against the Pacers where Kemba Walker scored 32 points. They managed to somehow uh fight their way I, they had no business beating the wizards but they managed jason tatum scored six points in the final minute uh i thought brad made some good defensive adjustments in that game towards the end but they managed to kind of steal one from the wizards but in terms of feelings the the vibe of the team to kind of win two ugly games is much better than losing three in a row and who knows? Maybe the team is, uh, came together in that downstretch. Jeff Teague wants us to believe that it's it's during the dark times when this the, the family of the Celtics grew closer. Jay, what was your reaction to kind of the the action from the Celtics over the weekend? Yeah, I, I mean, if if you want to look at it critically, they were not beautiful basketball games. The Celtics' offense, especially, still goes through stretches where they don't look. Good. Perfectly <laughs> adequate. <laughs> uh, I thought is even in that Wizards game, like there was a stretch when they were really sloppy. Jason Tatum had some weird turnovers. They they have p- pockets of play where the, the offense just isn't great, and maybe that's to be expected when they're shorthanded when Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart is out. But for that to happen against the Wizards, not great. 
if you're looking at it positively, Kemba Walker has been much, much better lately. And they executed down the stretch. And the the Indiana game, Celtics are up 10. You know, get that lead cut to one. They hold on. Kemba makes a bunch of big plays down the stretch of that game. Washington, they're down eight in the final minutes and really make every play down the stretch. And I think the execution for the Celtics in the fourth quarter has been so bad. And so for them to make all the plays and be intelligent about making all the plays too, it was, you know, Tatum down three, Tatum gets the ball, the Wizards take away the three-point arc, he finishes a two, Celtics don't have a timeout left, but they're smart enough to trap without fouling, and they do it well enough that Bradley Beal falls down and goes out of bounds. Now, were they lucky that he did that? Absolutely. But they also handled this situation perfectly. Then they get get back in. Tatum goes to the hoop, hits a tough shot. And, you know, if, if they run that those plays in a simulation 10 more times, maybe it works out for them two or three times, but they put themselves in a position to win. And they haven't done that often enough late, lately. They haven't done that often enough this season. And so I think even though, you know, there are still some obvious concerns about this Celtics team, I think they're down to 16th in defense. Their offense is likewise average. Um, the execution down the stretch was a positive. I thought defensively, too, the trap on Bradley Beal in the corner, the the like all of it was sharp and they they ran zone they did it pretty well like they tried a bunch of different tactics and executed them all well and i just felt like for this team that has struggled with a lot of that that's a step in the right direction yeah they did a great job of putting themselves in position to win that game against the wizards i think it's something if we're going back uh and we'll talk a little bit more about process over results later, but process-wise, they did this very similar thing against the Mavericks the week before. Uh, it just so happened Luka Doncic went wild on those kind of those last two shots, but the Celtics made a lot of plays to get back in the game. Down the stretch against the Wizards, I thought their defense was uh, fantastic. Brad Stevens recognized that the Wizards were trying to get Beal switched on to Tice. That happened a couple of times, and Tice just got absolutely burned at the rim, and so... They started pre-switching like the screens with Robin Lopez. So they would send Javante up with Robin Lopez and just kind of threw off the um, Wizards offense. They would th- were throwing different looks at him. So sometimes they would do that. And then sometimes they would keep Tice there, but trap Beal and really tried to get the ball out of Beal's hands. Beal was phenomenal in this game. Surprise, surprise. The man can score 46 points. But really in the last couple of minutes, he didn't do much. And I thought it was because the Celtics executed on the defensive end and really got the ball out of his hands. It ended up with Russell Westbrook taking two threes in the corner. One of them he made, but you kind of live with that. And their other, the other Wizards offense was kind of Robert Robin Lopez plays at the rim, which again, I think you'll live with. So I thought they just did a solid job of putting themselves in position to steal that game. As for the Pacers game on Friday night, I think they did also put themselves in position to win. I think a lot of that was Kemba just kind of imposing his will uh, on the game, especially late in the fourth quarter. I think he had eight or maybe 10 points in the fourth quarter. And just some classic Kemba buckets where it's just him knocking down two-point shots and pull-ups. He clearly looks to be better. If you look at their record um, with just Kemba playing, so take out the second night of back-to-backs, 
they're clearly a better team. They clearly are just much better with Kemba. The offense just he is so much more uh better of a playmaker than currently Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are right now. Uh, I thought that was evident. Um what was that the stretch in the fourth quarter against the Wizards where it was just uh four straight Daniel Tice buckets? Uh yeah, and they were all because Kemba was getting double teamed and he just fed Tice and Tice was wide open. Wide open for two point Tice. Two point Tice was knocking it down, but it's something that Kemba can do much better than I think Jason Tatum, which is just hitting the roll, man. Uh someone looked it up for me during that game. The Celtics pass it to the roll man on five percent of pick and rolls. Like they just don't, if they draw two, they don't hit the roll man to play four on three. And it feels like such a simple part of basketball, but it's just not something the Celtics do. And I think it's something that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to a lesser extent are just not very good at. And it's something that I think Kemba Walker is clearly so much better. And the opposing defenses have just been able to trap teams. And Jason Tatum seems to want to dribble out of it instead of just like hitting the roll man, putting teams in rotation uh, and kind of playing four on three. And it just seemed like a, a simple a simple idea that the uh, Celtics were able to execute when their offense was struggling again in the fourth quarter. Their main guys were drawing attention, but they made the simple play, the right read. And that was huge for them uh, to kind of stay with the wizards, especially in that fourth quarter. Yeah. I thought that stretch was, was really critical. And I, I do think you're right. How Kemba sometimes handles those double teams better in, in the fact that he just gets the ball out quicker. He's looking for the role, man. Tatum's not looking for that passer yet. I don't think he's at part of his game to be like knowing he's drawing two, looking to find that guy. It felt like Kemba was knew he was drawing two and knew he was going to set up Tice for that elbow jumper. Yeah, and I think I think the Celtics have made it tougher on Tatum and Brown in those situations because they don't have a lot of scoring, they don't have a lot of playmaking. So even when they are dumping it off, it's like sometimes it's Tristan Thompson and he's not a great shooter or playmaker when he's not a super threat on the rim either and so so there are limitations to the supporting cast that I think makes it tougher for all of those guys when they're put in that situation but I agree that they need to be much crisper with the decision making and the quickness of the the decision making and it just makes everything easier for everybody else I, I thought the fourth quarter against Washington down the stretch was some of the better execution they've had late um on both ends of the court and and that has been a real issue so many Celtics players have said we just haven't followed the game plan this year and it's just like that's not something that should be a problem for NBA players on NBA teams but they haven't done it often enough and I think you know in in his early years, like Brad Stevens kind of had a reputation for teams that kind of dug out of holes late and he would draw things up and they would always handle those situations. Well, that hasn't been the case at all for this team, but you saw shades of that against Washington where they did what they were supposed to do. They maximized their chances of coming out with a win and they wiped away an eight point deficit and, and got the win. So that was good. They're stretching the third quarter. Not so good. Um, to be fair, though, like they basically Jalen Brown did not play against the Wizards. And you looked at some of the lineups that Brad was running out. 
I don't know why Aaron Neesmith didn't play after apparently getting a bunch of time. Just we don't I don't know have any answers for that. Um, but you looked at some of the lineups when it was either Kemba in the bench or Tatum in the bench. And there's just not many options out there. They're running like double high screens for each of those guys, just trying to get them some space, trying to get them something. And there's, I don't know what you do. Like there's just not much uh, available to those guys. It's entirely on them. And so I wasn't too surprised uh, to see the offense struggle. Uh, Basically it struggled anytime both the, one of those guys was on the bench and they looked much better when they had both of their scoring options. They just, with Marcus Smart out, them to like, and that's going to be something that's going to really hurt them, I think, moving forward in the second part of the season is um, hopefully they get Marcus Smart out, but they can't go stretches where two of their guys uh, are not playing in a game and hope to have like long-term success because they it feels like they need uh, at least two of those top four players on the court at all times for their offense to be at all consistent, even – uh, there's been stretches recently where it's been Jalen and Kemba. They've had those two guys and the offense hasn't looked great then. And so I don't know what exactly the answer is. The depth is clearly not there, but it's like, it's good for them to sticking in the game, but I wasn't too surprised that the offense bogged down when it was Kemba Walker, Javante Green, Shemi Ojale, Grant and Robert Williams. Like there's, that's just not a recipe for offensive success. Yeah. And the Neesmith thing, like, he could play minutes, but it's not like he's totally seized the minutes either. It's not like he's shooting a super high percentage or making like getting assists or being like an elite, elite defender. He's been fine, but definitely not better than fine, I think. And so I think Brad has prioritized the last couple of games getting more capable playmakers. And I think even though Jeff Teague has been up and down and inconsistent and mostly not great this whoa, season. Whoa, whoa, Jeff Teague had a hell of a night on Friday night. Yeah, but I, I think that Brad has decided we need guys to be able to get in the paint. We need guys other than Tatum and Brown and Kemba, and especially when at least one or two of those guys are out of the lineup, that they need somebody who can make things happen. And, and Jeff Teague has gotten the call lately Peyton Pritchard has been in the rotation all along and Teague has been better 14 points there was a stretch where he was roasting against the Wizards too after a really good game against the Pacers 14 points against the Pacers only six against the Wizards but he talked about wanting to be more aggressive which I think is important for him it feels like there's a lot of moments where the ball kind of stops with him and he doesn't know exactly what to do but he gets into the paint and makes things happen Sometimes it's a terrible floater, but sometimes it's uh, points and it's good. He draws fouls better than probably uh, a number of other guys on the roster. It feels like Peyton Pritchard is also making an effort to get into the paint, but his little kind of tricks and pivots uh, are no longer working against NBA defenses. And so it's interesting to see kind of both those guys getting minutes. Something I've noticed um and so this is something that Brad talks about a lot. Anytime, he's always, he always gets pissed off if you ask him about starters or what the lineup's going to be. And he always says it's not, it's not who starts, but it's who finishes. And if you look over these last two games, Tristan Thompson did not finish. He played zero minutes in the fourth quarter uh, against the Pacers. I think 20 seconds in the fourth quarter against the Wizards. Uh, I think he played eight minutes in the second half in one game and six minutes in the second half. 
in the other. Is Tristan Thompson just a first-half player at this point? Have they determined that that like the two-big lineup is a novelty and we can't use Tristan Thompson down the stretch if we want to win basketball games? Uh, it seems like they've leaned toward more spacing late, and that has always been a Brad Stevens staple of, is kind of downsizing in the fourth quarter. He's always wanted to have as much skill as possible during fourth quarters. If you can think back years and years, even it all, it always seemed like when push came to shove, he wanted five guys who could dribble pass and shoot. It always goes small. Even with the Baines and Horford lineups, Baines didn't close games for that team. It was mostly for going small. Yeah. And, and so, so I think that's, that's what Brad would rather do. Um, It hasn't always been that way, but, but like against the Wizards, they were closing with Shemi and Javante Green on the court. And and that, that I think has been one of the challenges for Brad is that even when he goes smaller, it's not like he's going to super skilled guys, you know, like. Like it's not like he's putting great shooters out there or additional playmaking. Like those guys are smaller and more athletic, yeah. But like Shemi can shoot a little bit. They're not doing much to like space the court or really take pressure off Tatum and Kemba. Um, but I, but yeah, they are like, six six to six eight, which is important. <laughs> that is true, and and the defensive versatility is just it goes higher when when they play more switchable guys like that. And Neesmith, we saw him in the closing lineup against Dallas. They switched a lot during that stint. So he's always wanted to do that. I, I think that that's part of it. And then the other part of it is I think they are trending toward trying to get Robert Williams more minutes. And if you look at the game logs recently, uh, Tristan Thompson last couple games 19 minutes 19 minutes Robert Williams last couple games 22 minutes 18 minutes so Robert Williams has played more than Tristan Thompson the last couple games and I think that's a trend that they're interested in pursuing right now and they want to give Robert Williams more of that playing time and I get it I think he's more of an offensive threat I think defensively he's more of a playmaker his his ceiling is way higher his floor is smaller or lower for sure but that's that's the price you pay for putting Robert Williams on the court and I think the the risk pendulum for Robert Williams is swinging toward more more toward the reward lately Ooh, so, the risk pendulum is that a is that a common phrase that people use and I've just heard it for the first time here I I don't know I I feel like I probably heard it at some point the risk pendulum either that or I'm some sort of douchebag for, for thinking of, or you, know, you created out. something great, but I completely agree. The offensive potential, especially for a team that is struggling to create consistent offense in the half court, just having the lob to Robert Williams is such a good, like, break in case of emergency drive. If you even engage Rob's defender a li- little bit and just throw it up, he had some ridiculous ones against both the Wizards and the Pacers where. He can just jump so incredibly high, it's absurd. He also fired a fastball off Jason Tatum's dome. <laughs> I I was shocked because it was a pass uh, in the offensive part of the court. And normally that's his uh, his go-to passing place. But yes, he threw it directly off Jason Tatum's head, which was... That thing uh, was a fireball, too. There was some steam on that. 
He was trying to get it to a not Jason Tatum. He was trying to get to, I think, Peyton Pritchard flaring out. But if they're trying to get Robert Williams more minutes and Tristan Thompson is not effective, what is the point of him? Like, why keep him around? Is it just to, like, kind of sop up some minutes? He is talented. Is it just, like, we're going to plod through some two big lineups to start the game just to try and – get this happen like what well, I just don't get his what purpose he serves on this team right now if he's not gonna like close out games what do you want them to do just banish him Boot trade him? him for a bag of balls I don't know like I think is he like really making hustle plays is he uh I don't know if he's like I think, nurturing I think he's guys. been like, fine lately I he's think been fine, been fine but lately. he's like every minute he plays is either a minutes of two big lineups or minutes that he's taking from Robert Williams, which I think are in the long run net negatives on both accounts. Yeah, I I, I think you could certainly make that argument, and you could, you know, if you're the Celtics, you could consider whether to move Tristan Thompson. What's the market for him? Could they get anything for him? Are there teams that need a big like Tristan Thompson? Who are those? What would the acquisition be? I spent some time looking at possible trade fits, and it's not obvious. It's it's not obvious um, who needs a center and has like a veteran wing or something to to offer the Celtics. I don't know. Um, but and then the other part of the conversation too is the Celtics. They usually like to have at least three big men. If you've looked at the Danny Ainge history, and I'm not saying this is right, like even a couple of years ago, like they went after Greg Monroe on the buyout market and paid him more than the minimum because they wanted another center. And it was Greg Monroe and he didn't really help much, but they've always like wanted to have three centers last year, Ennis Cantor to block Robert Williams minutes and give them three centers. Um, and if you do trade Tristan Thompson, then the security valve, if Robert Williams gets injured or starts regressing, whatever, then the security valve isn't there. And and I think that the argument, counter argument to that is one, the upside of Robert Williams is substantial. And not just right now, but also in the future. And two, Grant Williams is a fine, capable center if you need to play him minutes. And he's proven that he can be a fine, capable center in the playoffs. So I, I think, yeah, I think the Celtics should have an argument about a debate in their front office, at least, about whether to try to move Thompson if they can and, and see what the market is. Even if they don't move him, it could just be something as simple as playing him a little bit less, um, maybe. Yeah like 12 minutes a game rather than the kind of 18 to 20 he's getting right now. I do still think it's a matter of trying to just get as much as you can from this roster while Marcus Smart is still out because they go to the double big lineups, I think to start just because there's not a lot of talent on the wings. And so once Marcus Smart comes back, you're kind of more justified in only playing one big and I don't know, like not having to play, over 28 minutes of Javante Green or Shemi Ojale or uh, some of those guys. And so I, I would imagine Thompson's role gets a little bit smaller uh, as the kind of team gets more healthy. And we shall see what happens uh, kind of moving forward. Another fun element uh, after 
the game against the Wizards, Daniel Tice, I think, breaking some news that Romeo Langford might be coming back soon, uh, despite what I said about two months ago when I said he was questionable and got duped. He's actually might be coming back soon, according to uh, newsbreaker Daniel Tice. I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to say, I have no idea what Romeo Langford's impact's going to be when he comes back. But, Jay King, what's Romeo Langford's impact going to be when he gets back on this roster? I have no idea. No, but but for real, <laughs> my brother, one of my brothers just texted me earlier today. I never thought I'd be so excited for Romeo Langford's return, to be honest. And I think that's a fair, fair take from a Celtics fan because this team needs another wing. It needs another versatile defender. Will Romeo Langford do anything scoring-wise? I'm not sure. Will he be a better shooter? Much better shooter. Probably not because he broke his wrist. He didn't really have much of an opportunity to work on the shooting stroke that needed lots of work. But he can defend. He's six foot six. He's young. He's versatile. And I just think he gives the Celtics another option. And the guys he'll be taking minutes away from haven't been particularly good. So, All right, let's do a quick let's do a quick power rankings of these four guys: Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith, Shemi Ojale, and Javante Green. Those are your backup wings at this point. What does Romeo do better than the other three guys, or is he just a combination of all skills that kind of make him a little bit better? Because I think right now I trust Shemi. Um, to make shots more than I would Romeo Langford to space the floor. I'd probably trust Neesmith more to make shots. I, I think I trust Shemi uh, more on the defensive end with some guys with some size, but I don't know. I think Romeo I right now is probably better than all of those guys just in terms of his overall athleticism, but I don't know how much better he is than any of those four or any of those three. Yeah. Um I mean, he showed defensive versatility. He showed defensive IQ. He showed that he was a good cutter and seemed to be a smart guy basketball-wise during his rookie season. Beyond that, I don't know what he'll provide. I'm not sure the Celtics are either, but I do know that they seem very excited to find out and that one of the reasons that they wanted to have a lack of winning options on the bench was because they wanted to save time for Romeo Lankford. So, you know, obviously he's he's been out longer than they anticipated, and it's just about the all-star break. The trade deadline's coming soon. They won't have too long to evaluate him in the lineup, if assuming he does come back before the trade deadline. Um, but he he is someone that excites them, and, and I think – given the way the team is set up right now, he's not perfect because he's not going to be a knockdown shooter. But defensively, he could really, really be of help for a team that that hasn't had enough versatility this season. All right, before we get to the potable six-pack, there's this one more thing I wanted to touch on, which is Brad Stevens completely changing philosophies uh, midway through the year. Normally, Brad is a process over results guy. Process are more important. Results don't matter as much as long as we're doing the right thing. But no, after the loss to the uh, 
to the Hawks. He was like, we're desperate for a win after the win against the Pacers. He was uh, just thankful that the Celtics got that uh, victory. He became a results guy. Results were the only thing that mattered to him. Process threw it out the window. Didn't matter anymore. What do you make of Brad Stevens' total change of philosophy? I just think he realizes the urgency of this moment. And he's always been a Kaizen guy. Like, just be a little better tomorrow than you were today. But there are limitations to that. And and I think he saw and experienced some of those limitations during the 2018-19 season. When the Celtics started struggling, everything just kind of spiraled. And players that might have been happy if they'd been piling up wins started getting more and more pissed about minutes, more and more pissed about touches. Kyrie, you know, the the losses piled up and he started making critiques in the press and and that pissed off people. And so the losses just kind of snowballed and took over the team and made everything worse. And so the losses, in a way, got they impacted and got in the way of the process that he wanted to focus on. And so this time, I think he's a little worried where the Celtics are. He's worried that this Celtics team could go sideways before they even really get a chance to be healthy and have a chance to see what they could accomplish when when everybody's on the court. And, and he, I think he wants to kind of salvage this moment right now in hopes of salvaging the Celtics chances at peaking later in the season and being okay when they enter the playoffs. Because if you look at it, like their playoff rotation could still be better than it was last season. Gordon Hayward barely played in the playoffs. Like Robert Williams will, or Tristan Thompson will be an upgrade over Ennis Cantor, what he was in the playoffs. And so Peyton Pritchard, like, He's similar to Brad Wanamaker. If they go out and use the trade exception, then and Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, those guys are just better. And so, if you look at that, you know you you can convince yourself this Celtics team has a chance to to put together a pretty deep playoff run. I happen to think Brooklyn's much better than any team was in the Eastern Conference last season, but still, like Brad just wants to salvage this moment now so that he can focus on the process later and and hopefully one day the the Celtics will kind of come out of this and and be able to to stay together as he keeps saying lately and and one day reach its potential the key to having a growth mindset is the belief that you can get better and nothing crushes belief uh more than a bunch of losses and so they you need to get some wins to kind of believe you can do well moving forward This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yo, my computer's at 3%. We got to go rapid fire. Rapid fire potable six-pack. All right, Jay King, you got the first pick. If you drop off the air, I'll just make the rest of the picks, but we're going to keep going. Robert Potable Williams firing the ball off Jason Tatum's <laughs> head. It was fantastic. And the best part was like, it, it stuck with like Tatum was like touching his face. Like 
he was impacted by it. it. It wasn't just a softball off the face. That thing was Roger Clemens' fastball to the dome piece. All right, Jason Tatum dunking on Robin Lopez, then smacking Bradley Beal on the ass. I thought it was a fantastic moment. There are uh, no arguments here. All right, I was at the game against the Wizards, and I um, have to apologize to Wash because I was well before the streams. None of my tweets did any numbers because it was just uh, directly before, and so I recognized the struggle of being at the games and tweeting. I was. I was pissing people off. Uh, I'm... Oh, I think we lost Jay King. He is out for the count, so I'm going to try and continue uh, on with the potable six-pack. The thing that struck me the most about being at the game was just how bizarre it is that they still do the full intro, the full light show, the full everything uh, for no one. It was me, Corrales, uh, we're up on the ninth floor watching the game. They do the full intro. It's wild. Uh, and then it's just a, a kind of normal basketball game, but no one is in the crowd. And I know everyone knows this. It's just a very eerie thing about being there. And so it was a bit bizarre, but the cool thing is you can hear uh, a lot more of the action. Brad Stevens was very pissed off uh, at a number of calls. I saw animated Brad uh, more so than I um had in a while i think there's a play where jason tatum was called for goaltending in the third quarter uh where brad was furious and you could hear him yelling turns out he was very wrong but uh it was just very cool to see that and then the final thing that was interesting is that like that was a very exciting game against the wizards like a late game comeback uh coming down to the final shot jason tatum hitting some crazy layups the final defensive possession against bradley beal Within three minutes of the game ending, where we had just gone two and a half hours of constant noise, the garden immediately went back to silence. And it was just very creepy. You could like see Jason Tatum just on the court, basically alone, waiting to his do his uh, interview with Forsberg. And so, I don't know. It's just a bizarre experience. We uh, Some fans will get to experience it, uh, I guess, moving forward if the – or if and when – Fans are allowed back in TD Garden, but yeah, it was a the big takeaway was just a, it's a bizarre time, but it was it was a cool experience. I'm very thankful uh, to the Celtics for letting me do that. The Celtics have two more games this week against the Clippers and I believe the Raptors. Jay and I will come to you with more analysis uh, as the Celtics head into the All Star break. Then, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, uh, please tell your friends, rate it five stars. Please make fun of Jay for not plugging in his computer, uh, getting ready to record this podcast. That would uh, make me very happy and let him know what he's missing here on this portion of the podcast. But thank you guys for listening. And thank you guys for listening to this episode of LA Tech Spotable!